Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, we didn't get into the message here in Galatians this morning. And I believe I obeyed the Lord this morning. And um, we're going to go to the message and get uh, this passage in. I believe I've got peace and uh, freedom in my soul that this is where the Lord would have us uh, to be tonight. And I was wanting to preach another message that I've been working on. And we'll just um, let God give direction on that and, and preach it another time. Galatians chapter number 2, and last week we were looking at and going through our series in the book of Galatians, the matter of finding freedom. And we talked about the first part of chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The Apostle Paul went to a Jerusalem council, the first church in Jerusalem, and there was the leadership of the church that Paul met with. Because again, these Judaizers have uh, affected uh, some of the, the discipling taking place. And, and so that's what he's dealing with here in the book of Galatians. Those who have been saved and starting to intermingle some kind of a works, a, a Jesus plus, a little bit of something. And, and it... While we may not have Judaizers today per se, we have people who will mix in the gospel with something else. And Paul clearly dealt with this in chapter 1 and said, if it's gospel plus something else, it's another gospel. And there are not two gospels, there's only one gospel. And we went through that in chapter 1. But we mentioned that the topic that Paul's been dealing with is the gospel. And one gospel of grace for the Jew and Gentile. Gentile would simply mean referring to those who are not Jews. And I want us to see there's a second altercation and confrontation that Paul has. Verses 1 through 10 was the Jerusalem Council. Again, Acts 15, you can do your reading there. I encourage you to do that sometime and look at that. But we will look at it and discuss that in another message. But then there's another altercation that Paul has beginning in verse 11. So if you would join me and let's stand together and we're going to read down through verse number 14. Paul is writing, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? 
I want to preach this evening this thought that Paul is bringing out to the Galatians. And we see this through the Apostle Paul, his ministry, his attitude. And that is, take a stand for God, no matter what. Take a stand for God, no matter what. And then there's a subtitle. Trouble in the church often begins at the dinner table. Trouble in the church often begins at the dinner table at home. Thank you. Please be seated. We read beginning in verse 11. What happened when Peter arrived in Antioch? We find that there is fellowshipping and eating around the table. And there's fellowship, there's interaction. These individuals may have accepted the gospel that Peter is involved with, but around the dinner table, they stopped applying the reality of the changed life of the gospel message. We're going to find that even Peter and Barnabas struggled with their newfound freedom that they had in Christ because they too, Peter and Barnabas, are slipping back into legalism. And we're going to find, beginning there in verse 11, that their liberty in Christ was being tested at the dinner table. Three things here I want you to notice from the Apostle Paul. First of all, Paul confronts Peter publicly. Paul confronts Peter publicly. Notice in verse number 11, he says, But when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. And then verse 14, he says, I said to Peter before them all, there was a public confrontation that Peter faced from the Apostle Paul. Now, why do you suppose Paul confronted Peter publicly rather than privately? Anyone have a guess? He was out of line Publicly. Peter was doing what Peter was doing publicly and not privately. And because of what he was doing, it was causing his brothers to stumble. Romans 14 and verse 21 tells us it's, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. And that's what's happening. I'm sure it's not easy for Paul to publicly confront Peter. I think some people just think that preachers wake up and they eat their cereal and just look for who can I confront publicly today. 
Paul was accused of an awful lot. In fact, the other message we we're going to look at is another place in which Paul was accused. Paul's been accused an awful lot in his life in ministry, chapter 1. He's trying to, to deal with truth based upon the accusations. In 2 Corinthians, he's dealing, much of 2 Corinthians is Paul having to explain the fact that he's simply doing what ministry requires. Do you know you cannot be a leader without leading? You can't be a pastor without pastoring. You cannot be an organizer without organizing. And Peter is in simply doing what a servant of God is to do. And it wasn't easy to confront Peter. Oh, I just think Paul, he's just looking for a fight wherever he went. That's not Paul. No, Paul is a man who's doing right, whatever the cost may be, whatever the price may be. We saw last night, Paul, he said, at my final answer, because of what I'm doing for the Lord Jesus, no man stood with me. But thankfully, the God man stood with me. And he said, Luke is with me, and I'm thankful for that. And, but he said, I'm, I'm going to stand, I'm going to stand. And then he's going after Peter, of all people. Peter, like Paul, was a pillar of the church. But Peter also had a short fuse. You remember Peter? Peter's known to have cut a man's ear off in the heat of conflict. When you got into an argument with Peter, you covered your ears. You know, Peter and Mike Tyson both are in the same boat. So where does Paul's courage come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. Paul's courage comes from deep conviction of truth. His conviction, his conviction produces courage. So where does this conviction come from? You know, there are people you've been around. I'm not talking about arrogance. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I'm not talking about stubbornness. But stubbornness is as wicked as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness and rebellion, 1 Samuel 15, 23. He's not talking about an arrogant rebellion and stubbornness. No, he's talking about a courage that comes from conviction. Where does the conviction come from? Paul's conviction comes from the Word of God. The Word of God. That's why so many so-called Christians lack courage that is needed to stand up for the things of God because they have no conviction. And the reason there is no conviction in their life is because they spend so little time in the Word of God. Get into the Bible. Get into the Word of God. Get into it. If you're struggling with just meeting with God, you're not going to have conviction. You're not going to have courage. Stay in the Word. The more time you spend in the Word, the more conviction you'll have. And the more conviction, the more courage you'll have to stand and speak up for Jesus, to speak on the, 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 the cause of truth. And it's truth that if someone embraces, that's where they find liberty. Let's take a closer look at what's happening around this dinner table. Paul is confronting Peter publicly. 
publicly. But number two, I want you to notice that Paul charges Peter with hypocrisy. That's what he says in verses 12 and 13. For before that certain came from James, that group that came from James, before then, Peter did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. You got to remember back in Acts chapter number 10, we read something that was really a monumental, a watershed, pivotal moment in the life of Peter. And that's Acts chapter 10, when Peter had this vision at Joppa. He was on the rooftop in Joppa and Peter received a vision from God. And from that unusual vision, here's what Peter learned in Acts 10 and verse 34. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He saw God doesn't, is no respecter of persons, but in, in, in every place, wherever the nation might be, those who receive or accept Jesus, he'll respond to. And that's what he was learning is God's not going to, God's not a respecter of persons. One of the things that makes Canaan Baptist Church such a strong and vibrant God-blessed church is how you welcome and receive others who name the name of Jesus Christ. You don't care about their education. You don't care about their race. You don't care about their mess-ups. You do care about them. And I thank God for the compassion. I love to see after the service people on the, 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 uh, the, the hunt to get to somebody. Shame on, on those who just hunker down trying to get your money's worth out of the seat that you put into the donation plate. Get to people. I'm telling you, you, you don't have any right to, to hold a position of influence if you're not involved in trying to be an influence in serving other people. You don't care about how they look. You don't care what color they are. You don't care uh, how old. You don't care what money they have. We don't care about those things. We do sometimes care what team they pull for, but it's, it's just the certain times of the year. But in Acts chapter 10, we read about that vision at Joppa where Peter learned that everybody, and this is what God's telling Peter, Jew or Gentile is the same before God and they all need Jesus. So that's what he got in that vision. In Galatians 3.28, he's going to deal with this. In fact, we're there in Galatians. Let's look over at verse 28 of chapter 3. Paul is emphasizing there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for ye all are one in Christ Jesus. And you find that same truth that came out of the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, and Peter had been one of the key witnesses in that Jerusalem Council. Now, we go back to Galatians here in chapter 2, and we read about this trouble that's taking place at the dinner table. 
In Acts 10, keep in mind, I'm trying to bring it together, we read about the vision of, at Joppa, where God told Peter through this vision, Jews and Gentiles, same ground, they're all sinners, they all need the same person, his name is Jesus. But here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, we read about Peter's visitors from Jerusalem. It says from James, the pastor is James, from the Jerusalem church. It seems that when the church at Antioch gathered for fellowship and eating, there would be a table over here for the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And they would have at their table ham sandwiches and pork ribs and sausage balls. It's just the way they were raised. They had never lived under the Old Testament laws that restricted them from eating certain meats. So when the church gathered in Antioch, there would be a Gentile potluck table. But there would also be a kosher table for the Jewish members of the church. So when it's time to eat, Peter went over to the Jewish table. Paul went over to the Gentile table. Well, after a while, Peter smelled something that was appealing over there. After dinner, Peter asked Paul, what was that good smell coming from the Gentile table? Paul said, oh, it's just some pork roast. You ought to try it. Especially with some coleslaw, it really goes well together. And that's all in the Greek. I don't have time to get into that. Well, Peter knew that under grace, Peter knew he could eat pork at the Gentile table if he wanted to. He knew that. I mean, he didn't commend you to God, uh, meat that is, did not commend you to God, and he knew that meat did not condemn you before God. Peter knew that. But we read again in verse 12 and 13. Now look at it again with that little bit more of a picture in mind. For before that certain came from James, Peter did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew. That is a gradual withdrawal. And he separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. The word dissimulation is hypocrisy. In other words, when the legalistic visitors came, when they showed up, Peter moved from the Gentile table. He went back to the kosher table. He separated himself from the Gentiles. He turned from the liberty that he had in Christ back under the bondage of the law. Now, a question came to my mind while studying was, what caused Peter to act this way? What caused Peter to change? If he were to teach a lesson on this, Peter wouldn't have taught that what he did was right. But he did it. We have no reason to believe that Peter changed his mind about Jesus Christ and the efficacy of the blood of Jesus, we have no reason to believe that Peter had been persuaded by reason or revelation to change his behavior. His convictions, he was convinced 
I believe, still of the same truth. Peter's the one to whom God had initially given the keys to the kingdom so that through the preaching of the gospel by Peter, the spirit would come to the Jew and Gentile alike. Had Peter forgotten the vision back in Acts chapter 10 there at Joppa? No, he hadn't forgotten that. He had not forgotten the private conversation with Paul and James and John over this very issue in the Jerusalem church, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, some years earlier. It'd be nice if we could look at this and say, Peter just made an honest mistake. He was not fully aware of the issues and what was at stake. It was an innocent slip up. It'd be nice to say that, but we can't. Peter knew better. He knew the truth. He knew the truth. He knew that children in the same family have only one father. He knew disciples in the same school have only one teacher. He knew sheep in the same flock have the same shepherd. He knew members in the body all share the same head. He knew stones placed in a building have only one foundation. He writes about it in his own letter. He knew that all of them had been saved by grace through faith in Christ and his finished work. You cannot disconnect a discussion on the gospel, justification by faith, from a discussion on the unity of the church. See, the gospel not only brings us to God, it brings us into a family. It makes us family. And the basis of God's fellowship with us should be the basis of our fellowship with others. And I believe Peter knew this. It was not that Peter's mind had been changed, but Peter's behavior was contrary to the very beliefs that he held. He believed one thing and he behaved another way. That's called hypocrisy. Hey. One way to define hypocrisy is walking crooked like a drunk who cannot walk a straight line. Peter was not walking according to the life of the gospel. He was out of step with the gospel message. No, not the way of getting saved, but he was not walking according to the overflow, the outflow of the gospel. And do you know why Peter did this? Allowed his behavior to be affected because his freedom was threatened by fear. Verse 12, we're told that he gradually withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So what was Peter afraid of? He was afraid that when the visitors returned to Jerusalem that they would tell everybody that he was eating with the Gentile Christians at Antioch. And when the Judaizers would hear about it, his reputation among them might be tarnished. 
Now before we're too hard on Peter's hypocrisy, let me ask you, how often do you deny the gospel? I'm not talking about your belief system. But I am talking about your behavior. I am talking about how you allow pressure of your pride and others to cause you to lower your behavior to a lifestyle that you can manage. After all, is not the gospel's work, the saving work of Jesus Christ, is not the gospel the power of God unto salvation? Well, while you think on that, let me ask you another question. Is not the work of a soul being saved a supernatural work of God? So why would He do a supernatural work to start within you a new creation only so that you can take the supernatural work of God and bring it down to low-level living that is convenient and comfortable for you? That's not a straight walk in consistency with the gospel. Peter turned coward from the fear of what somebody else may think. Peter dug in because of fear of what somebody else may think. You say, I, I don't really get all this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into uh, kosher. I'm not into, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know any of this. It may not be the Judaizer system here, but if you're fearing something other than fearing God, it'll just be another discussion at a dinner table. God deliver us from being wishy-washy, fence-straddling, mamby-pamby, spineless, panty-waisted men. I don't understand how we can have men. Tell me about your time with God. Well, you know, I just, I, I, I just, I don't know. You know. Oh, it's just pretty straightforward. Tell me what God's doing in your life. Well, you know, he's just, he's just kind of, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Well, let's start back here. Have you been saved? Oh, yeah, of course I've been saved. What is he doing? Was not the work of salvation a supernatural work of Almighty God? Let me try it again. Was not the work of salvation in your life when he took all of your sin and, and washed them and forgave them past, present, future and credited his righteousness to your account and gave you eternal life and literally moved inside of you and then heaven on top of that like the cherry on top. Is that not a supernatural, divine, omnipotent, all-powerful work of Almighty God? 
then why are you walking crooked? And if that isn't bad enough, he even pulled down his own buddy Barnabas. Verse 13, Barnabas also is being carried away with their dissimulation. Barnabas knew better. He had been a part of the Jerusalem council in Acts 15 that had already settled this issue of legalism. And yet Peter's influence, he influenced Barnabas right back into legalism. Do you see the significance of influence? Do you see that I didn't come up with the concept of the importance of right influence? Oh, be careful how you're influencing those around you. Oh, be careful, Sunday school teacher. Oh, deacons, be careful. Your actions are influencing the members. But let me say, dads, your actions and your attitudes are influencing those around you. You're either driving people to Jesus or you're driving people away from Jesus. You're either driving others back into bondage by your views, your attitude, your silence, your complicity to that discussion that's taking place, or you're encouraging them to enjoy the liberty which is theirs in Christ. Well, remember, remember Dr. Childs, Dr. David Cummins. Remember Dr. Cummins talking about when he pastored there, I believe it was Michigan he pastored, and um, Dr. David Cummins wrote This Day in Baptist History, Volume 1, 2, and 3. And if you ever got Christie's first CD, he spoke, he's the one speaking concerning the, the Welsh revival, and just a great voice, great orator. And, but he pastored in Michigan, and and he said one day that a family had called him and said, Pastor, our teenage son grew up in the church and went to the school, Christian school, grew up in the church, and here he is, a senior. And just told his mom and dad, he said, I'm so sick and tired. I'm so sick and tired of your God. So sick and tired of playing church. You, 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 you want to know where I am, Mom? You want to know where I am, Dad? I'm on the honest side of exactly where you are. He said, what do you mean, son? He said, you're not sick of playing the game I am. And I want nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with God. Ever. Pastor Cummins said he got the call from his family. had been in the church for so long. Vital family, key family in the church. Would you meet with our son? He said, yes, I would. Brother Cummins said, I went to the house and if you... Anybody know Brother Dr. Cummins? He's in heaven now, but is just the eloquence 
and the, the authority in his voice. And he knew the young man from a little boy. And he said, son, how can I help you? He said, thank you for coming, pastor, but you cannot help. He said, son, you're never too far from God and God can still work. He said, pastor, please. I know my parents called you, but you need to understand this, pastor. For 13 years, I haven't missed church. I've been in this school. But I go home with my parents and I've listened to them run you down. I've listened to them mock you. I've listened to them in the name of let's pray for him. Pastor, thank you, but no thank you. Because of my parents, you mean nothing to me. You know why many of the problems exist in the pews? Because they started at your dinner table or in your car ride. I've said it before, we'll say it again. We gave it out to practically everybody on multiple occasions. Sunday school class, we gave it out to leadership. If you have an offense and you're treating it like an offense on the inside, the Bible says you better deal with it like it's an offense on the outside. And you better get to that person who's part of the problem or the solution, anybody else outside of that, you are running the risk of being dealt with publicly. You wouldn't dare. Who are you? You didn't die for this body. You're not the head of this body. I just as well, the acts come down and get you out if you're not going to get right with God so that others who are looking for Jesus can find Him. I answer to one. His name is Jesus. And my preaching may not please you, but it has never been designed to please you. It's been designed to please the one who called. And Paul dealt with Peter publicly and he publicly dealt with his hypocrisy. You say, but didn't Peter write a couple books of the Bible? And you can have a great finish too if you'll respond in humility and obedience like Peter did. Let me let you see a third thing. You still got your seatbelt on? Do I need to smile so that you know that this is a happy message? I guarantee you when Jesus cleansed the temple, he was not smiling like a Cheshire cat. Yeah, you want some smiling, tune into Joel Osteen. Otherwise, let's stick with the Bible here. Verse 14. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews. The third thing Paul does is he challenges Peter with consistency. 
He dealt with Peter publicly. He dealt with him about his hypocrisy. And now he's challenging him with consistency. Now, we are so much like old Peter. It says in verse 14, when I saw that they walked not uprightly, this means straightforward, according to the truth of the gospel, uprightly. That's where we get our English word orthopedic. It's used to describe somebody with straight feet and able to walk in a straight line. See, the truth of the gospel, Paul is saying is, it's not lining up with their conduct. Like vertebrae that don't line up, their conduct wasn't lining up with the gospel. When vertebrae don't line up, they can cause some great discomfort. But when our conduct doesn't line up with the gospel, we cause also a distortion. A distortion of what? The word of God. Worse than vertebrae not lining up is when our conduct isn't lining up with the gospel. I can't help it that we have Christian schools littered around that are filled with people that are bent on staying bent and inconsistent with the gospel. And it just conditions young people to come in and say, oh, I can actually come to a Christian school and still enjoy the world. Oh, how we need consistency. This community needs consistency. This congregation needs to see our consistency. Now, what are some Bible principles that we can apply in our lives today that are consistent? And again, what Paul is just simply saying is it's, it's carrying over that Peter, you know that being a Jew in verse 14, um, If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why are you trying to get the Gentiles to have to conform to the Jewish way? You know that's not true. Be consistent, Peter. Be consistent. So in closing, what are some Bible principles that we can apply in our lives tonight? Well, number one, consistency in our behavior. Consistency in our behavior. It comes from our beliefs that are tied to the word of God consistency in our behavior, it comes from our beliefs that are tied to the Word of God. People around us know what we believe by how we behave. They they may not know what you think about the Trinity. They may not know your eschatology by looking at you, but they're going to know this. They're going to know whether you love God. They're going to know whether or not you have embraced the second great commandment, and that is you're loving not the people you choose to love because of the ones that will love you back, but the ones that God says is your neighbor, which is everybody. So consistency in our behavior comes from our beliefs that are tied to the word of God. What's your intake of the word like? Number two, courage comes out of conviction. And conviction comes from spending time in the Word of God. So number one, consistency in our behavior. It comes from our beliefs that are tied to the Word of God. Number two, courage comes out of conviction. Something I'm convinced of. And my conviction comes from spending time in the Word of God. 
See, the more time we spend in God's Word, the more convincement you're going to have of the power of the Word of God, which will produce in us a courage to stand up and speak for the things of God. Some just struggle with maybe co-workers that come around. You know, they tell a dirty joke, sideways innuendo, and, and rather than taking a stand, you just listen. You justify, well, I didn't really laugh. But they know. They know you're not supposed to be listening to this. And the very reason you don't have courage is because you don't have conviction and you don't have conviction, convincement of the authority and the power of God is because your intake of God's word is lacking. Number three, confrontation with another saint must always be done with restoration as its goal. Confrontation with another saint must always be done with restoration as its goal. Paul's purpose in confronting Peter was not to give Peter a piece of his mind, but was to restore Peter back to the liberty that was his through Christ, knowing that he is an influence to others. It was restoration. Even church discipline. Putting somebody outside the church family, turning them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh is for the intent that the person would repent and be restored. Would you stand up for Jesus no matter the cost? And would you understand whatever trouble happens in the church, it begins at home. Let's stand together, please.